0: You know, uh, I'm 50, what am I, 52? I'm, yeah. One of the disconcerting things about getting older, not not only not remembering how old you are, but, uh, but also, you know, when you turn on the oldies radio and they're playing the music that you listened to as a kid, and it's like, wait a second, that's not supposed to be oldies, you know? <laughs> what? When did this happen? And, uh, you know, but... I'm going to sound like the get-off-my-lawn guy, but, you know, young people today, they, they, they don't even listen to the radio much anymore. I don't know if the rest of you knew this, but, but they, they all don't listen to the radio. They get out their phones, and they'll uh, download this app called Spotify, and they'll just sort of do their own playlist. That way, there's no commercials, and there's no DJ playing songs you don't care for and that type of thing. You're, you're all good to go. Uh, you know, and, but my kids, they're all in their 20s, and they tease me, you know, a little bit about, you know, listening to 8-tracks back in the day. <laughs> and I don't deny it. I don't deny it at all. I mean, when, when I was a kid, we'd go on vacation in our 1974 blue Ford station wagon with an 8-track probably bought from Radio Shack. And, uh, you know, and all the way wherever we were going. We were listening to my favorite silly songs from the 60s. And if it wasn't that, it was my dad's favorite, which was Maligwania. And if he's listening, if you don't know about that song, it picks up the pace later and later and later in the song. And by the end of the song, he's going about 85 or 90 miles an hour (laughs) down the highway, you know. But sometimes when you listen to the radio, songs would come on when you're a little kid and, and they can be a little bit confusing. What I mean by that is, you know, we went to church when I was a kid and so We'd go to, I'd go to Sunday school and go to church, and every once in a while, you'd hear about some of these prophets from the Old Testament. And uh, there's a guy by the name of Jeremiah, you know, radical prophet of God, and, and, and uh, so you learn a little bit about Jeremiah, get back in the car after church, and dad turns on the radio, and the first thing you hear is, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, he was a good friend of mine. And as a kid, you're a little bit confused. <laughs> I thought he was a prophet. <laughs> what do you mean he's a bullfrog? So, you know, eventually you figure out that the bullfrog named Jeremiah and the Old Testament prophet named Jeremiah, these are two different Jeremiah's. Very different, you know. The bullfrog was, of course, a very good friend of mine, as the song goes. Uh, but Jeremiah, unfortunately, didn't have a lot of friends. You know, Jeremiah was a guy that um, had a very unpopular message. And uh, and we're going to talk just a little bit about Jeremiah. Now, I know I know some of you, you want me to keep singing. You want, you want a little three-dog night. To, you know, but you're just going to have to go home, get out your eight-track player, and listen to it there, all right? So, for the rest of us, we're going to figure out a little bit about Jeremiah. Now, this guy, Jeremiah... He was a thorn in people's sides. I mean, just about everybody. Not many people liked him at all. And you might wonder, well, what's the deal? Is he just a jerk or something, you know? Is he just irritating people? Well, no, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. What it was, he had a very unpopular message from God. In fact, a a whole series, really, of unpopular messages from God. And so uh, he had to preach the message that God gave him, uh, whether people liked it or not, and they didn't like it. You see, you sort of figure out as a preacher, people don't like to be rebuked. And people don't like to be told, you got to change. And he told them both those things. And so, not a lot of people like Jeremiah. They just wanted him to uh, shut up. But he wouldn't shut up. You know, I mean, cancel culture just couldn't cancel this guy. He just kept on going. And by the way, that's how you deal with cancel culture. Just keep on going. Ignore all the critics. But And you might wonder, well, what in the world was going on with Jeremiah? I'm glad you asked, because I'll tell you (laughs) what was going on. Um, Here's the deal. God had chosen the Israelites to be his own people. okay, And in doing so, he established a covenant with them, basically a, a contract. And they broke the terms of the contract. And so here we have the Lord God, Yahweh is his name, The Lord God made this contract with His people, and He told them to obey Him, and they did not. What were the terms of the contract? Number one, that Israel worship Yahweh alone. That they have one God that they worship, and He is Yahweh. They don't worship Baal, they don't worship Asherah, they don't worship all these other gods of all their other neighbors. They worship only God and him alone. And you can probably guess what they did. They failed in that. Not only did they worship Yahweh, but they, on the side, worshiped other gods. And you might think, what's the big deal about that? Here's the big deal about that. I don't recommend you do this, gentlemen. But if you were to say to your wife, honey, I love you, and there's someone else, too that's probably not good for your marriage that's probably a bad thing i recommend you not do that or else you might not face the wrath of god you may face the wrath of your wife okay so don't do that kind of thing why because you made a covenant with the one to love her and her alone all right that's what the covenant and it's very much like that in fact Jeremiah, in some of these messages, he equates idolatry, which is the worship of false gods, with adultery. And so he uses that same type of language. So that was problem number one, and it was a big one. Problem number two was this. God told Israel to administer justice. In other words, to treat people right. Treat them right. That's all it is. Just treat people right, especially... Those people that need to be treated right the most, orphans. You have children in that day. We didn't have CPS. We didn't have all these government programs back in that day. You had children in that day. If their parents died, what were they to do? Someone needed to watch after them. Okay? So orphans needed to be treated right. Widows needed to be treated right. Because back in that day, women did not have the standing that they do today. There weren't the protections that they had, uh, that we have today for women. And so a woman who was a widow found herself to be in a very precarious position. Economically, physically, in every way. And so women, widows, need to be treated right. Foreigners who would be traveling through the land, they need to be treated right too. It was expected that if a foreigner was coming into the land that you might open your home and offer that foreigner protection at night from the thieves and the vagabonds and the people that might injure the foreigner. And so God had these very basic expectations. Worship me alone. Treat people right. Well, you can probably guess what happened about treating people right. They failed to do it. Widows and orphans and foreigners traveling through the land suffered terrible injustices throughout the land. And so, God sent word to his prophet Jeremiah. And this was the essence of one of God's early sermons, or Jeremiah's early sermons that he received from the Lord. God said, I'm going to destroy my own temple. And I'm going to do it with a foreign army that's going to invade from the north. The foreign army was Babylon, and that happened around 586 B.C., by the way. And so that prophecy that said that Babylon would come into Jerusalem and destroy the temple and and exile all the Israelites for 70 years actually happened. And in that prophecy, God compared Babylon to a cup of wine. And Israel was going to have to drink the wrath of that cup of wine. But right in the middle of those very discouraging messages that nobody really wanted to listen to, the Lord also gave Jeremiah some very encouraging messages. And Jeremiah preached the encouraging messages just as faithfully as he preached the discouraging ones. And in the encouraging messages, we learn this, that after Israel is punished by being exiled for 70 years, the Lord will do a number of things. The Lord will renew His covenant. They'll start over. He'll renew His covenant with Israel. The Lord will transform their hearts. How? He's not going to write His words on stone like the Ten Commandments were written on stone. God will write His words on their hearts. And they'll have it inherently within them. The Lord said that He will help Israel return to the land from exile, the land that the Lord had promised them. He would eventually bring them the Messiah. And then eventually after that, all nations will acknowledge Yahweh, the Lord, Israel's God, as the one true God. And so this is a very encouraging, positive message that Jeremiah preached and in the midst of this, Jeremiah reveals one of the names of God. And it's on the screen behind me Yahweh Sidkenu. It's a strange pronunciation. It means the Lord is our righteousness. So I invite you to take your Bible if you have access to a Bible. If you don't, that's okay. There's a Bible in the back of the pew in front of you. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, take that Bible home. It's yours. It's our gift to you. And uh, we want you to have it. We have extra Bibles. We'll replace that one so you're not stealing from a church. I know you might think, oh, goodness, stealing from a church. You know, God's really going to get me. You're not stealing. It's our gift. And if you uh, uh, want to watch the screens behind me, the scriptures will appear there as well. But we're in Jeremiah chapter 33. Jeremiah is just about right in the middle of your Bible. If you found the Psalms, it's a little bit further down toward the end, but it's a big book. In fact, worthless Bible trivia, Jeremiah is the longest book in the entire Bible, if you count it word for word. And so now you have that trivia, but more importantly, let's look at the message of what we read in Jeremiah chapter 33. We'll be in verses 1 through 16. What we're going to do today is very simple. We're going to read these verses, and I'll make a few comments here and there uh, as we go through these verses. In verse 1, we read, while he, that's Jeremiah, while Jeremiah was still confined in the guard's courtyard, what's going on? I told you he got in trouble. Back in that day, they didn't just shut off your Facebook account if you said the wrong thing, (laughs) okay? They took Jeremiah, they threw him in prison. And while he was still imprisoned in the, in the uh, uh, guards' courtyard, so that way he couldn't have a big influence, they sort of shut down his platform. They put him in the guards' courtyard. While, while he was still in the guards' courtyard, something happened that the guards never really realized might happen. The Lord God has access to the courtyard. You know, it's pretty hard to shut the Lord God out. Okay? Okay? If God could chase Jonah down in the belly of a whale, then God can find you wherever you are too, all right? If God wants to get your attention, he's going to find you, all right? And so the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, and this is what we read. The Lord who made the earth, the Lord who forms it to establish it, Yahweh, the Lord, Yahweh is his name. He says this. Verse 3, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. Let's stop right there for a minute. God says, call to me, and I will answer you. I've got a question. Do you think this is still true for us today? I think it is. I think it's going to be a little different than in Jeremiah's day. Jeremiah was in a specific situation that we're not in. But the principle still holds true. God says, call to me. And I will show you the deep things. The deep hidden truths of myself that you don't yet know. I will show you how faithful I am to you. I will show you how much I love you. But you have to call to God. You have to be willing to call out to him. How do you call out to him? The same way you might call out to your kids, the same way you might call out to your wife, the same way you might place a phone call. Talk to him. Talk to him. God says, call to me, Jeremiah, and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things that you do not know. Let's see what God said to Jeremiah. Next verse, verse 4. For this is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says concerning the houses of this city, that's Jerusalem, and the palaces of Judah's king. Judah's like the nation around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city. And so God is going to say something about the houses and the palaces there. The ones torn down for defense against the assault ramps and the sword. In other words, they had to tear down their own houses. They had to tear down the palaces of their own kings in order to try to stop the siege coming against them from Babylon. And so here's what God says about this in verse 5. The people coming to fight the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are the bad guys, okay? That's Babylon, basically. The people that are coming to fight against the Chaldeans they will fill the houses with the corpses of their own men that I strike down in my wrath and fury. It's not a good situation. I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. When God hides his face from a nation, it is a very bad thing. What we want is we want the beauty and the majesty and the glory and the goodness of God's character or His face to shine down upon us so that we experience the very blessings of God. But God says when we are this disobedient, like Israel was, chasing after other gods, d- d- just dismissing the orphan and the widow, when we act like that and when, when, when we're that selfish, God says, there's coming a time where I will hide my face from you. So in other words, let me put it very plainly this way. We dare not disobey God and then turn to Him and expect Him to bless us. Mm -mm. If we are a part of a nation that continually disobeys God and, and goes its own way and dismisses the very nature of God, and laughs at the very character of God, and calls right, wrong, and wrong, right. If we continue to do that, should we be surprised when the curse of God comes upon us in various forms? So we ought to be careful there. We ought to take God very seriously, or else He'll hide His face from us because of all of our evil. Verses 6 and 7, Yet, We have a change in tone here. Yet, I will certainly bring health and healing to it and will indeed heal them. I will let them experience the abundance of true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and of Israel and will rebuild them as in former times. Yeah, the punishment of God is coming. However, the blessings of God will follow. God will not cast us aside permanently. Verse 8, God says, I will purify them from all the iniquity they have committed against me, and I will forgive all the iniquities they have committed against me, rebelling against me. This city will bear on my behalf a name of joy, praise, and glory before all the nations of the earth, who will hear of all the prosperity I will give them. They will tremble with awe because of all the good and all the peace I will bring about for them. That is an amazing statement. When you think and you hear about somebody trembling, it's usually in fear. It's usually because they're they're shocked beyond recognition. And so they tremble and they fall to their knees. But here the Lord says, They will tremble because I'm so good to them. My goodness will be so overwhelming that they will quake. It's almost like we, we won't be able to handle how good God is. What an amazing contrast of words. Verses, verse 10 we read, This is what the Lord says. In this place which you say is a ruin without people or animals, that is in Judah's cities and Jerusalem's streets that are a desolation without people, without inhabitants and without animals, there will be heard again a sound of joy and gladness. You see, the exile has come and everyone's been taken away and these cities are ghost towns basically. But there's coming a day when these cities will be restored. And there will be joy and gladness. There will be the sound of the voice of the groom and the bride. And the voice of those saying, Give thanks to the Lord of armies. Many of your translations say the Lord of hosts. And we're going to study in a few weeks what it means that the Lord is the Lord of armies. And that will be a fantastic Fantastic, encouraging word for you. I hope you're here for that. Give thanks to the Lord of armies. For the Lord Yahweh is good. His faithful love endures forever as they bring thanksgiving sacrifices to the temple of the Lord. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as in former times, says the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies says. In verse 12. In this desolate place without people or animals and in all its cities, there will once more be a grazing land where shepherds may rest flocks. The flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who counts them. That's how shepherds in the old day would count their sheep. They'd come into the fold. They'd come into the pen, if you will. And the shepherd would be actually, he would be the door of the sheepfold. And he would stand there, and he would count the sheep as they come in, one after another after another, until the full number of sheep come in. And so this is the imagery here in verse 13. The flocks will again pass under the hands of the one who counts them in the cities of the hill country, the cities of the Judean foothills, the cities of the Negev, the land of Benjamin, the areas around Jerusalem, and in Judah city, says the Lord. Verse 14, look, the days are coming, this is Yahweh's declaration, when I will fulfill the good promise that I have spoken concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This is very important. God is saying, I'm making a promise to you, and you can trust my character. I will Fulfill my promise. Why? Because fulfilling your promises is right. That's the right thing to do. You make a promise, you fulfill it, right? If you make a promise and you don't fulfill it, it makes you a liar. It makes you fall short, right? But God says, I'm not a liar. God says, I don't fall short. I fulfill my promises. I'm making a promise to you. I fulfill my promise. And this is because it is right. Verse 15. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to sprout up for David. That's King David. He's going to have a descendant who will be completely righteous, a righteous branch. And he, that descendant of David, will administer justice and righteousness in the land. For as Israel hurt the widows, abandoned the orphans, there's coming a righteous king, a righteous Messiah, who will do none of those things. He will administer perfect justice in the land. Perfect righteousness in the land. Verse 16. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is what she, Jerusalem, will be named. The Lord is our righteousness. What does that mean, the Lord is our righteousness? Please understand. The very most basic thing that the Lord is our righteousness means, that name of God means, is this. That first and foremost, the Lord, He Himself, is righteous. He is perfectly right all the time. The Lord has never gone wrong. The Lord has never had a misstep. He Himself, in His own character, is perfectly right. A lot of times as Christians we read the New Testament and we, we talk about the Lord being our righteousness. But before logically the Lord can be our righteousness, we must understand that he is righteous in and of himself. Righteousness is a part of God's very nature. And righteousness must be in his very nature if he is to extend his righteousness to us. An unrighteous person cannot convey Righteousness to another. Let me explain why. If you've ever been a part of the justice system and you came before a judge, think about this. If a human judge is known to be crooked, if he takes bribes, if he prejudges cases that come before him and he refuses to listen to witnesses, if a, a human judge finds in favor of his friends, because they're his friends, you know, good old boy system. If a human judge uses his authority to curry more favor and benefits and more powers for himself, can such a judge rule justly? Can such a judge be trusted? Can the unrighteous administer justice? The answer is no. No. He cannot, but the Lord, He is perfectly righteous. The Lord not only sees the actions, but He hears the words that we speak. And the Lord, unlike any human judge, knows the very motives of our hearts. He is perfectly righteous. He is righteous and He is just within Himself. Justice and righteousness are an integral part of God's own Character. Second thing I want to share with you about righteousness is this. The word righteousness is from a Hebrew word meaning straight. There's no crookedness there. Perfectly straight. Righteousness does not veer to the right or to the left. Justice not, does not bend according to the viewpoint or the, the colored glasses that its administrators, its crooked administrators might want to wear. But it is rather straight. It sees things perfectly. The idea of being straight extends even in the way we speak in the English language to our sexual behavior. There's something right about being straight sexually. There, there's other sexual behaviors that by their very nature are crooked. They rob their participants of the full extent of fulfillment and love. Because love, by its very nature, always overflows and often results in the creation of others to be loved and to love. But there's something very right about being straight. And God's righteousness is very, very straight in every way. When we say the Lord is our righteousness it implies a very important truth, that we have no righteousness of our own. The Bible says very plainly, there is none righteous. No, not one. When I preach and I stand before you and I stand in this pulpit, it is not a self-righteous person getting on to you. It is one of you standing here saying, The Lord is our righteousness. Okay. There is no preacher other than Jesus himself who is righteous in and of himself. There's no politician. That should be self-evident. There's no judge. There's nobody other than Jesus himself who is righteous in and of himself. There's none righteous. No, not one. You and I have no righteousness of our own. But finally, what we mean by the Lord is our righteousness is this. That the Lord offers to do for us that which we cannot do for ourselves. What is it that we cannot do for ourselves? First of all, the Lord declares us righteous legally. By that, it's this picture. Have you ever, uh, you don't have to confess in church, but Have you ever committed a crime, big or small? You go before the judge, and somehow you're declared innocent, not guilty. And you, even if you've never done that, you can imagine walking out of that courtroom like, who got away with that one, didn't I? Because I'm guilty as all get out. But you got out of it. How? The judge, for whatever reason... Declared you innocent. God does that for us. Jesus does that for us. He, the judge, declares us to be righteous. You and I know the reality, don't we? We're not righteous, but the judge says otherwise. The judge declares us to be righteous. Now, how can this be? And the judge still be right? And the judge still be perfect? It is because our guilt has been transferred to somebody else, and that is the Lord Jesus himself. And so he paid the guilt. He paid the injustice that we deserved. When Jesus died on the cross, it was an innocent man dying on the cross, innocent in every way, dying on the cross, and he paid for our sin. And so there, therefore the Lord can declare us To be righteous. Why? Because the sin has been paid for by Jesus. But there's another thing that Jesus does for us that we cannot do for ourselves, and that's this He implants His righteousness in us. In other words, when you decide to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, God begins to give you brand new desires. And you choose to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing that you always used to do. Is there a possibility that in your weakness you might from time to time choose to do the wrong thing? Sure. You're still declared right before God because Jesus died for all of your sins. However, God over time begins to plant in your heart a new heart, a new desire to do His will and to obey Him. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we read, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In Isaiah 61, verse 10, a beautiful verse. It reads this way, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Wow. That's what God does for us. You know, you and I, we can experience the righteousness of Christ. Why? Again, because He died on the cross.